The undeniable truth of Scripture is that God is in constant pursuit of you. Even this morning, I would guarantee you, God is pursuing you. Now, we know the feeling, the hurt, when you pursue someone and they don't pursue you back. Anybody ever remember being in, in uh, maybe elementary school and you had your eye on somebody and so finally you got your guts up and you wrote a little note and you, you couldn't say it with your words. And so you wrote a little note and you said, I like you, do you like me, check, yes, no, or maybe. Anybody remember that? And, and you're expecting hope and at least to get a maybe back. And you get a big black mark that says no. That hurt, didn't it? Or, or maybe you got older and your mate rejected you. Or maybe it's one of your best friends and they, they turned their back on you. We all know that hurt. And what I want you to see this morning is that God understands that hurt. And yet, despite the hurt of our constant rejection, God is in constant pursuit of us. I love the brother I heard pray this week who said, Lord, I want to stop running from you. I'm ready for you to catch me. And this morning, I'm challenging you, if you've not stopped running from God, could today be the day? Today, we're going to look at one of the great chapters in all the Bible, Luke chapter 15. Many people think it's the greatest chapter in the Bible. And it's about how God searches for lost people. And literally, there are three wonderful stories here about God's rescue mission toward the lost. The first story is the story we call the story of the lost sheep. You have a shepherd who has a hundred sheep, and one wanders from the fold. And here's the crazy thing. I like how one writer, Philip Yancey, says, God's not very good at math, all right? Because there's, a, there's 99 of them still saved. He leaves the 99 and goes after the one. Now, we used to sing a song that said, the 99 stayed back safely in the fold. My friends, the scripture says, the 99 are back danger, in danger in the open field. But the one is worth the pursuit. And so the shepherd leaves the 99, goes after the one, and finds the one and brings him back. And then the climax of the story is verse 7. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Now, in, in these stories, you're going to see three different ways to be lost. The first way is the sheep who's lost by his own carelessness. The, the, the sheep who just sort of not paying attention to what's going on, not staying within the fold, just, just drifts away and all of a sudden is in danger. And today you can, you can um, wander from God that way. Now, the second story is the story of the lost coin. And here's a woman who has ten coins. In the original, the coin here is worth about a day's wage. Of the ten, she loses one. And the Bible says she goes on a search through her house to find this one coin. She sweeps the house clean. She looks under all the cushions of all the couches. I mean, she's looking behind the furniture. And she wants to find that coin. And she finds the coin. And then the climax of this story is verse 10. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then here's our favorite story. It's the third story of the lost son. The son goes to his father and says, Dad, I'm sort of sick and tired of being here. I'd like to go ahead and get my inheritance now. 
Well, even in our day, that sounds rather offensive with the dad being alive. In this day, it was even more offensive. Uh, underlying message to that, I would rather you be dead because I want what I want. And shockingly, the dad says yes. And the boy takes his inheritance. He goes off, the Bible says, into a distant country. He squanders his inheritance in what the Bible calls wild living. I mean, he's partying. He's having a big time. I guarantee you, the first few days were fun. And it was awesome until the money ran out. And so he gets a job at this, this pig farm. And before long, he's in such poverty that he's in the pig style eating the food that's deserved for the pigs. So here he is. His life has crashed down. He spent it all. I, I like the words of Scripture here. When he had come to his senses. You ever had that moment in life where you just really blew it and you came to your senses? He comes to his senses. He says, i got to go back home. Now, he has no expectation that he can go back home and be a son again. But he thinks to himself, even the, even the, you know, the minimum wage people my dad hires to work on the farm are better off than I am. And maybe, just maybe, I can go home, apologize to my dad, beg him, and he'll give me one of those jobs, and I'll stop eating this pig's food. And so he goes home, he rehearses the speech, and he gets there, and we get to the climax of this story. Look with me in the middle of verse, uh, verse 20. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. Now listen, in ancient culture, no respectable man ran. It was embarrassing. No telling what's showing up when you're running with that flowing garment. You don't run. So the father, this is a shocking part of the story. The father ran. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. That's where we're uncomfortable. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He's got that speech memorized. But the father said to his servants, let him pay attention to the son. Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a finger on it. Uh, uh, put a finger on his finger. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. The father pulls all the stops out. You see, in our, our second story. The, the lost coin was lost by somebody else's carelessness. In this story, the lost son, the person is lost by their own rebellion. But the common thread of all the stories is the great celebration. Now today, we can be lost in many of the same ways. Maybe you can be lost today by your own carelessness. I mean, you didn't really mean to walk away from God, but you know your heart is hard, and you slowly but surely drifted. There are some of you in here that you've been involved in wild living. You're doing things you know are just absolutely wrong. You would have never guessed you could do what you did. You're sort of shocked when you think about it, but you got there. You just sort of drifted. It was own carelessness. Now, some of us are lost today because of someone else's carelessness. 
I cannot tell you the amount of people I talk to who a pivotal point in their life is this. I was doing great. I was growing up in a Christian family. When I was in third grade, my parents got a divorce, and we never went back to church, and I've never been close to God since. I hear that story almost weekly. And so maybe it's someone else's carelessness. Or I hear a story like this. You know, I grew up in church. It was a really great church. And then some problems arose in the church. And the church split. And I saw more ungodliness in the church than anywhere I'd ever been. And so I just left the church and vowed to never come back. So other people in some way caused you to leave. Maybe it was an abusive relationship. Maybe it was a divorce that just absolutely devastated you. You couldn't believe God let that happen after you prayed all those years to be married. And for some reason, you're gone. And then others of us, we leave in a loss simply because our own rebellious heart. Somehow Satan deceives us that the ways of the world, the chasing after the dollar, chasing after things, chasing after the party, chasing after the skirt, chasing after what you want to name is going to be better than serving God and, and you get there. But here's what I want you to see out of the story. I want you to see God's heart for the loss. Here, here's... Here's what we learn in these, these three beautiful stories. Write these things down. First of all, God cares about everyone. Capitalize one. Everyone. The, the point of these stories is that one lost sheep, one coin, one son matters. Now we understand that about children. I've got four children. I don't go, you know what? Three out of the four are faithful to God. I've got one that's not doing very well. Who cares? I've done pretty good, man. Dodge, 75%. That's better than a lot of folks. I wouldn't say that. He would break my heart. He would break your heart. God, God is after everyone. Do you realize today, he's not just pursuing the masses. He's pursuing you. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, God wants everyone to be saved. Everyone, everyone to be saved and come to knowledge of the truth. I used to hear preachers say this, and I don't know why it bothered me, but it has bothered me for years. And I was wrong about it. But they would say this. Maybe you remember hearing this. You know, if you were the only lost pe person on the earth and everybody else on the earth was saved, Jesus would have still come and died on the cross for you. I don't know why I didn't like that. So, somehow in my mind, it's just like, you really know that? Are you for sure about that? I mean, you know, seven billion are saved and one's lost. You think he would have come? But you know what? As I was studying this passage this week, I sort of repented of my attitude. Those, those old preachers were right. If you were the only lost people on this earth, the only one, he would have still come and died for you. God cares for everyone. Number two, God seeks after and runs after the lost. Luke chapter 19 verse 10, Jesus gives his mission statement on the earth. I have come to seek and save that which is lost. That's what he was focused on. Listen. We serve a God. This is radically changing. We serve a God who pursues us, who wants more than anything else for you to be saved. You see, for years I thought we served a God that was sort of like Donald Trump. He got great joy in saying, You're fired. Don't you love watching Trump on that show? You can, he, he just loves that last line, you know. He's gone through all the different uh, process and finally, you're fired. He seems to enjoy it. 
And I thought at one point, you know, here's God, you know, and uh, he sort of put some loopholes up there and made the Bible a little bit hard to understand. I might not quite get it or I might just sort of ease over the line. I do one thing wrong, I'm lost. And God gets a great joy from going, you're lost. I'm telling you, God does not rejoice. You know, the Pharisees had this view that God actually rejoiced over the punishment of one sinner. And Jesus tells this story that God doesn't rejoice over someone being lost. God rejoices over someone being saved. And then another point here about God. God celebrates every soul saved. When someone comes back to God or someone comes to God, listen to what happens. There is an eruption in heaven. In fact, in the passage, he will say, we had to celebrate. What's it saying? God could not hold back from celebrating. He was so excited about it. Because we need to be like God. We need to celebrate every soul that is saved. Let me tell you guys, one of the most foolish debates that's ever happened in churches of Christ. And it was that debate about whether you could clap or not after a baptism. Anybody remember those debates? God, that, that, that is an unbelievably foolish debate. Because, you know, it should be a debate about whether we can rejoice or not when someone's saved. I'm telling you what's wrong is to sit there like nothing's happened. I tell you what's wrong is to walk out these doors when someone's about to be saved and you're too busy in a hurry to get where you need to get. I'm telling you something that bothers me here in this church is when this invitation song's being sung and almost every Sunday there are people coming to the Lord or rededicating. Some of you, and I understand if you've got work responsibilities, I'm not trying to be just crazy here, but some of you, you're in such a big hurry to go visit with somebody in the lobby or go to get where you go, you can't even stay. If the service goes 10 minutes over, you can't stay to pray. You can't stay to rejoice. You can't stay to hoop and holler when someone's baptized. Guys, that's what's wrong. Because we got a God who celebrates. In fact, this is the most interesting twist on the, the story of the prodigal son. There's an incredible book out that I read this week by Tim Keller called Prodigal God. You hear that? Prodigal God. Well, I've always thought prodigal meant, you know, it, it just meant the guy that was lost, you know, the guy that rebelled, the guy. The word prodigal actually means this if you look it up in... in in your dic- dictionary, reckless, extravagant, literally having spent everything. And Keller looks at this story, he says, there's not only just a prodigal son in this story, here's what you got to see. There is a prodigal God who recklessly, extravagantly pursued you. You say, God would never be reckless. You tell me the cross of Jesus was not reckless. It was extravagant. It, just like the word prodigal means he spent everything. God gave everything. You must see the heart of God. And so today, let me just go ahead and be offering the invitation right now. If you are lost by your own carelessness or somebody else's carelessness or, or just a rebellion against God, God is calling you, not just calling you, He's seeking you. And when you take one step home, He's running after you. And when you come and recommit your life to the Lord, I'm telling you what, not only are we going to celebrate, but I don't think our celebration will compare to what God's going to do in heaven. Now, here's the twist in our message. I've always assumed the first time these words were said 
that people were so happy to hear them because these are great stories. And that the response to these beautiful stories, especially the story of the lost son, would have been tears of joy. But that was not Jesus' audience. And, and quite frankly, I want you to see this morning, that was not even Jesus' point. Let's go back to the context of the story. We're going to go back to Luke chapter 15. We're going to look at the, the context and why Jesus tells these stories. It might surprise you. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Why does Jesus tell these stories? Because all these religious folks are upset about who Jesus is hanging out with and who Jesus is reaching. Look at, look at the way the message translation puts it. It's very vivid. By this time, a lot of men and women of doubtful reputation were hanging around Jesus, listening intently. The Pharisees and religion scholars were not pleased, not pleased at all. They growled. He takes in sinners and eats meals with them, treating them like old friends. Their grumbling triggered this story. Guys, these stories were there because of their grumbling. So don't miss this. Here's what I want you to write down. Luke 15 is not directed at lost people, but at religious people who don't care about lost people. Did you catch that? The point Jesus was making here, oh, it helps lost people. It woos lost people. That's what his major point. Jesus' point here, it was directed not at lost people, but at religious people who don't care about lost people. Listen, the people that are upset with Jesus are the hyper-religions. They know the scripture better than anybody else. They attend church more than anybody else. They do things correctly. But they don't really care that other people are going to hell. In fact, they're offended by someone who's going to go out of their way to reach someone that they wouldn't even eat a meal with. You see, in Jesus' day, to eat a meal with someone was to say, I accept you. And so for Jesus to eat meals with these people was highly offensive to the most religious, obedient people in his day. These people worshipped Faithfully, They were obedient, but they had another sin in their life, is that they did not care about people's soul. They only cared about the in people. They only cared about the people in their church. Here's the punchline of the whole story. Go back with me to Luke 15 one more time if you have your Bible. Verse 25. Here's what Jesus tells all of this to get to this point, to point back to those people in verses 1 and 2. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. No wonder he was upset. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he's come back safe and sound. The older brother... Here's the religious folks. Became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out to him and pleaded with him. That's the point of the story. The point of the story was to say to these religious folks who were so uptight about their own righteousness, so offended by people, other people's unrighteousness, that they didn't care about the loss, that you know what? You're lost in a whole different way. These stories say to us, you can be lost in rebellious living and you can be justice lost sitting in a church every Sunday. It matters about your heart. Listen to what Tim Keller says in that book I referred to earlier. If the preaching of our ministers and the practice of our churches do not have the same effect on people that Jesus had, 
then we must not be declaring the same message that Jesus did. If our churches are not appealing to the younger brothers, they must be more full of elder brothers than we would like to think. So he's saying, if we're not reaching some lost folks, and we're not offending some religious folks, I'm not doing my job. Our church is not doing its job. So let me ask a couple questions as we start closing down. Does landmark reflect God's heart? Do we reflect this heart? Do we reflect this heart that what we're about are lost people? I tell you what drew me to this church 16 years ago. With four elders, three of them are still here, one moved to Tennessee, who said to me, buddy, we want to build a church that reaches lost people. I said, okay, to do that, we'll have to change some things. Because the way you've been doing it, you know is not working. They said, we know that. And, and, and to do this, some people are going to be uncomfortable with things that appeal to people that aren't us. And they said, we know that. And I said to them, and you do know there's going to be some people that leave. Oh, yeah, we understand that. We're not really too worried about that because we know all they'll do is leave and go to another church and they'll be okay. But here's what we do know. I can remember these words coming out of their mouth. We do know if we don't become a church like this, who's going to reach the lost people in this community? If we're not willing to make some changes to reach people that are in crazy living, if we're not willing to stretch ourselves, then what's going to happen? And despite everybody I knew telling me, don't come here, I couldn't stay away from that vision that these men had. And what I love is that they've never lost it. I remember meeting a few months ago, somebody sort of complaining about something around here, not liking the way something was going. And when they walked out of the room, Don Rhodes said, until they understand what we're about, they're never going to like it around here. Until they understand our focus, it's never going to be right. Guys, let me tell you guys, we are okay with you being uncomfortable. We're okay with breaking traditions. Listen, I didn't say breaking scripture. I said breaking traditions. We're okay with doing things that make people uncomfortable because I'm okay with me being... I tell you, I don't like everything that happens. I'm okay with me being uncomfortable if somebody out there can come in here and be comfortable and hear the good news of Jesus Christ. So, let me tell you this. You are never going to understand this church if you're a member or a guest today. You will not understand this church unless you understand at the heart of this church is the desire to have the heart of God for the lost. To be reckless and extravagant, to give it all to reach lost people. You're not going to understand why we break some traditions and people get upset and we're okay with that. You're not going to understand why we're so pushy about small groups. Why, why do we want everybody in a small group? Because we know, we don't want anybody wandering away that somebody doesn't know about it. And when you meet with 11, 1,200 people every Sunday, somebody can be gone for a long time and nobody know. But if you're meeting in a living room or classroom with 10 or 15 other people and you've built relationships, somebody's going to know. And so we're, we're, we're going to be relentless about that because, because we want to be like God. 
10 years ago, when we got big enough to go to two services, a lot of people, why would you do that? We've almost become two churches. I'm going to tell you why we would do that. Because we got a heart for the loss. Over the last two years, some of you, why do you go to two Sunday schools? I mean, you're never going to understand that, you know. It doesn't work quite as good for my family. I'm telling you, because paramount to us is a heart for the loss. Some say, well, why would you let a service go on over there that's a little bit different, a little bit even more non-traditional than this service, you know? Why would you, that? I don't, I don't really like... We're going to do that because we got a heart for the lost. Why are you trying to take up $203,000 in three weeks? Because you got a heart for the lost. Why am I challenging you today to save your money over the next few weeks, to make some sacrifices for our Mission Sunday? Because it's a part of who we are. It's our DNA. We care about lost people here. We care about them all across the world. You're not going to understand why you ought to sacrifice your money to somebody in Malawi or someone in China until you understand and you accept God's heart for the lost. You're not going to understand why we planted this church in Birmingham. Let me celebrate something with them today. They now have multiplied into two small groups. We celebrate that. Because we want them to have that DNA that says, we're always making room for one more person. It's not about us or we like, or us being the cool group we want to be a part of. It's about, let's find somebody else. Let's always make room for someone else. And I'm just going to tell you, if you don't understand that, you're not going to get this church. But if you understand this, and I think it's the heart of God, if you understand this, not only will you get this church, but you will join us on this mission. You see, I'm okay with people criticizing us. I know people criticize us. That's okay with me. I criticize this. There's things I don't really like that go on here. That I think, man, I wish it had been done differently or I should have done this differently. I criticize myself. But I'll tell you what I don't like is I, I cannot take criticism from people who are content with being a part of a churches where lost people are not comfortable, where lost people are not saved, where it's only for the in crowd. That to me is damnable. You got it? That's what these stories were told about. He was told not for folks out there, even though it's probably the greatest stories in the Bible to appeal to them. It's told for some of us uptight religious people in here who don't care that people are lost. Are willing to go out of your way to be committed to a group? Are willing to go out of your way to lead a group? Are willing to change your schedule? Are willing even to walk across a few pews to greet somebody? Are willing to stay long enough to celebrate someone and baptize and someone coming back to the Lord? That's who he's writing to. Because some of us, we, we got to get it. We just got to get it. And that's what these stories are told about. Is that would you, he's saying to these religious people, God, he loves them. Don't get me wrong. He's trying to say to them, guys, get what it's about. It's not about you. So can I ask you this question to close out? Do you reflect God's heart? And, and, and remember the three things we talked about God's heart. Do you care for everyone? Or there's some people who say, you know what? I don't really want to be around them. And thank, frankly, if they were in my small group, I wouldn't go to that small group. Don't you dare. Do you seek after and do you run after the lost? Do you celebrate when people are saved? Is that our priorities? So here's what I'm asking you today. Here's what God's inviting you to do. God's inviting you to join the pursuit. Stop running. Because I, I don't think you can deny what I've said in Scripture. If, if you think you can, then please come talk to me. If, this, if, if I've missed the heart of God, then I, I'd love to be proven right. 
If this is not what we all, proven wrong, excuse me. I mean, if this is not, I'd love to be proven right even better. But I mean, if this is not what we're supposed to be about, then please tell me. Please let me know that. But if it is, then we've got to join God's mission. God, we've got to pursue people the way God has pursued us. And so this morning, I'm talking probably to two people in particular. Two groups of people. Some of you that are lost in the world. There's some of you in here, you partied last night and got drunk and you barely made it up for church this morning. Some of you, you're playing around and doing things you ought not be doing, you know. Somehow you drifted or maybe you got bitter towards somebody at church or maybe you got bitter towards your mom and dad. I don't know, but for whatever reason, you're not living for God and you're lost out in the world and somehow God put you here today and I'm speaking to you. He's seeking you. But probably more people I'm talking to today are people in this building who are lost in the church. You're a good person. You come to church regularly. You obey the commands. You love the Bible. You love God. But but your life shows no concern for lost people. It's about you and your family, what you need. If you survey Americans, church-going Americans, what is the purpose of the church? Here's the 70% answer. 70% say the purpose of the church is to meet the needs of my family. Because, listen, I'm not against meeting needs of families. We need to do that. But that's not the major purpose. And so I'm saying today, if you have somehow lost your way, if you have lost the mission and vision of God, if today you're here every Sunday, but somehow you've lost that heart, If the person that reminds you most of yourself is the older brother who's sort of ticked off because the drug addict or the person struggling with homosexuality or the person who's struggling, you know, with alcohol or the person who's struggling with depression. I mean, if somehow it makes you uncomfortable that they have been reached and you're like, let's just make sure just, just righteous people around here, you know. And Jesus is speaking to you. He's speaking to me. And today, if you would like to join the pursuit, and you need to publicly state it, maybe you need to repent of your attitude. Maybe you need to come back to God. Maybe you need to come to God. He's pursuing you. I'm telling you what, He's going to be pursuing you during this song. He's going to be nudging you. The question is, will you respond God says, I love you. Would you check one of the boxes? Yes, no, maybe. Would you get something out and just go, yes, yes. Not only do I love you, God, not only am I going to pursue you back, but I'm going to have a heart like yours. You love somebody, you start pursuing the things they pursue. You love the things they love. These stories say to us, God loves lost people. In fact, God says, we're a little uncomfortable with this, He's going to be a lot more happy about one person who's saved today than about 600 of us in here that are okay. That's what He said. If you need to join the pursuit, why don't you come right now while we stand and sing?